0: everyone. Thank you for tuning in to the Social Work Journal. I'm your host, Del Tom, and today we are going to talk about ruminating not to be confused with rumination disorder, which is in the DSM-5. This is what we use as licensed clinical social workers, psychologists, psychiatrists, counselors that use the DSM-5 to diagnose people. Rumination disorder is actually an eating disorder. If you want to learn more about it and you have access to a DSM-5, you can go to page 332 and they'll tell you about rumination disorder, but that's not what we're talking about. This is not a feeding or eating disorder. Rumination. Is when you have a thought that is repetitive and it plays in your mind over and over again. So we're going to talk a little bit today about not only what rumination is, but why people ruminate. What are some of the implications of ruminating? What the research says about rumination? How do people treat rumination? How do people end up ruminating in the first place? What are some of the downsides if you don't treat it? So let's get into it. So, as I said before, ruminating is basically when someone is trying to process their emotions, but they become stuck in this negative pattern of replaying a past hurt and they can't seem to move forward to a solution or a feeling of resolution. I'm going to tell you why that happens often. The reason why is because typically when people ruminate, either they've gone through a terribly painful experience or they went through a traumatic experience. So Sometimes you might ruminate because maybe you experienced something that was just so shocking. You know, it could be a situation that involved another person, or it could just be a situation that just came about. For instance, if someone that you don't know very well just comes up to you and offends you, And you're like, whoa, where did that come from? I don't even know this person. That was so odd. This was so bizarre. You're trying to make sense of it. So you might start ruminating because you might want to play that situation over and over in your mind, trying to figure out, well, how did this even happen in the first place? Okay. So there are two types of rumination. And this I did not find in any research, but I'm just going to go ahead and give you a tip of the two ways that people ruminate by externalizing. And internalizing. What is externalizing? So externalizing is basically acting out. Some people ruminate by acting out towards others. So typically, people who externalize, they may throw a tantrum when something doesn't go their way. They may have problems with interpersonal relationships. They may often have difficulty resolving interpersonal conflict because their idea is whatever happened. That's a problem for me. That's causing me discomfort. I didn't do that. Somebody else caused that. That's somebody else's fault or that's the circumstances fault. They never take any responsibility for their part in it. Now, internalizing is different because when someone internalizes, typically they take on responsibility that doesn't belong to them. They take on blame For a situation or a problem outside of what they could control, and they'd say, oh, I have this discomfort or I have this negative feeling because of something that I did. And it could be something that was completely out of their control. For instance, if someone they didn't know, we'll give the same example, comes up to them and does something very bizarre, they might be like, oh, maybe it was the way that I carry myself that caused this person that I don't know to treat me this way. That's internalizing. You're taking responsibility on for something that doesn't belong to you. So before we move on, I'm going to give you a little pop culture example of externalizing. I love this. It's by Cardi B. She had this song. I can't remember the name of it, but I think it was forever. Well, anyway, she says, if a girl have beef with me, she's going to have beef with me forever. I love that. I think it's a great example of externalizing rumination because basically she's saying, this girl did something to offend me. And even though the situation is long gone and over with, every time I see this girl, I'm going to replay this situation or every time I think about this girl, I'm going to replay the situation. And I am going to go after her because she's the problem. She caused this. So if a girl have beef with me, she gonna have beef forever. Forever. Okay, here's my pop culture reference for today. So now that we've gone over what rumination means and basically what it is and the types of rumination, we're going to talk a little bit about how people cope with ruminating when they don't get treatment. So rumination, a lot of times it comes from depression, anxiety. Or PTSD. So think about it. People who have depression, anxiety, or PTSD, and they don't receive any kind of treatment and they experience that for a prolonged period of time, what might they do to self treat or self medicate? Well, self medication, we know there's the implication of substance use, right? So there's one. It could be alcohol use, it could be use of narcotics, whether it's pharmaceutical or it's a street narcotic. Also, too, the reason why depression and anxiety are related to ruminating is because, remember, we talked about internalizing. So typically people who internalize and they have high maladaptive behaviors with internalizing, they are very subjective to depression or anxiety. But why? Because depression and anxiety are on two opposite ends of the spectrum. So how could they both be related to internalizing? Well, I'll tell you how. If you're blaming yourself for something, it's either going to pull you down and make you feel helpless and hopeless, or every time a situation arises that reminds you of that negative experience, you're going to be heightened. You're going to go into that fight or flight mode, and that's the anxiety. So rumination or ruminating can be a little tricky because The treatment is different depending on how severe it is. So we're going to talk about the lesser severe treatments for rumination. So let's just say you tend to ruminate and you tend to do it very often. Correct? One thing that you may want to do is you may want to try the think-no-think treatment. It's called the think-no-think paradigm. Actually, let me correct myself. And you can find out more about the think-no-think paradigm. There's a study on NCBI that talks about using that as a treatment and what their findings were. So let's talk a little bit about what it is. So basically with the think-no-think paradigm, they take a group of people, a sample population, and they introduce them to this treatment where they give them a word and then the word is associated with a cue. The cue could have nothing to do with the word. So for instance, they might say, every time you see the word roach, we want you to associate it with the word ordeal. Roach would be the word and the cue would be ordeal. Now on some items, the participants are told to recall the target or the word when they're exposed to it with also recalling the cue. And then on certain Items, they may be told to inhibit that cue that they were told to associate with the word. This is a way of training people to suppress certain memories. It's a memory suppression task. Okay. Another treatment that was talked about in this study was the go no go motor inhibition task. So, an example of the go no go test, and actually in the military, they do this training a lot for onboarding soldiers is you may be given a certain action to perform like maybe they tell you to press a button so when you see the cue pop up on the screen go you know to press that button but you might see a cue that pops up on the screen and it says no and when you see no it's no go you don't press that button and it's the exact same button so basically, it's kind of the same thing as the think, no, think, but it's not about memory suppression. It's more about gross motor and targeting the ability to turn an action on based off of a cue that you're being given. Now, there was in this study they that they performed, they did do the go, no, go and a think, no, think paradigm in conjunction with each other. So they did it together with their sample population. And what they found was think-no-think is effective. You do need to do many trials of it so that the person becomes accustomed to the memory suppression, but it is effective. But doing think-no-think paradigm in conjunction with the go-no-go test, they didn't really see a big difference By doing that, they didn't see an enhancement by having that motor inhibition along with the memory suppression. So basically, you could just do a think-no-think paradigm, and that will help you learn to train your brain to suppress memories. The article that I'm going to get into a little bit to tell you a little bit more about the function of rumination is called Understanding Depressive Rumination from a Cognitive Science Perspective. The impaired disengagement hypothesis. So, what they found in this article, I mean, I'll post it on my website, www.thesocialworkjournal.com. You just go to the blog page, so then you can read more. But I just want to let you know that basically the findings that they found was that the think no think paradigm reduces the frequency of intrusive memories with repetition. So, it does work and it does regulate hypocampal activity. So for those of you who are in neuroscience, you know that the hippocampus is a part of the brain that controls a lot of our reactions to certain things that we experience in our environment. And it is related to the fight or flight mode. You can learn more about the hippocampus. I'm not a neuroscientist. I'm a licensed clinical social worker. Albeit, there are some licensed clinical social workers that specialize in neuroscience. I am not one of them. Like I said, I'm not an expert, but I am experienced. So I'll just give you the information and you can read it for yourself. So also in their article, what they found was that it's not that the think-no-think paradigm does not work. It's that sometimes people just revert to ruminating because they found the value in it. So people, if they feel like it's helpful to replay a situation over and over in their mind, then they may revert back to that behavior just because they're like, hey, well, I think it resolves my issues. Now, mind you, ruminating is different than self-disclosure. So self-disclosure may involve you talking about a situation with someone else. And I think they also call this co-ruminating. When you talk about a situation with someone else because it was something stressful and you want to process it, but then you go into that problem solving mode and you move on. If you do that, that is totally functional and that is totally fine. But if you get stuck on the problem, You can't move from thinking about the problem to how can I resolve this so that I can feel better about it. That's when you know you have a problem. And that's where we get into obsessive ruminating. And obsessive ruminating a lot of times is really linked to depression. So according to Beck's influential cognitive theory, depression is characterized by presence of negative schema defined as a mental representation of past experiences containing dysfunctional attitudes about the self. So remember, depression, and we're talking about how it relates to internalizing. Basically, that's what Beck is saying. He's saying you've got negative schemas in your mind. A lot of times, it's a negative attitude about yourself. And that's why you're experiencing this depression. Well, couple that with the fact that ruminating is your pattern. It's going to really put you into that category of most likely obsessively ruminating. And the same thing goes with anxiety. You know, if you go into fight mood, every time you are in a situation that reminds you of something that was very displeasing, you are replaying those negative schemas within yourself. And there's some kind of dysfunctional attitude that you probably have about yourself. And that's why you're becoming anxious. So let's move on. I do want to to talk about maybe before we move on, let me just read a few items from Beck's Depression Inventory. Okay, so you kind of have an idea of what depression looks like. So typically the Beck's Depression Inventory is a self-report, but usually it's done by survey. So a self-report means that the information is coming from the individual. Survey means that someone else asks you the questions, but you can self-administer the Beck's Depression Inventory, and I'm going to post that on my blog as well. So let's look at item one, okay? And the scoring is from zero to three. So item one, zero is I do not feel sad. Score one is I feel sad. If you were to score a two, I am sad all the time and I can't snap out of it. But if you were to score yourself a three on item one, I am so sad and unhappy that I can't stand it. Let's skip to item number four. So you would score a zero if you were to report, I get as much satisfaction out of things as I used to. You would score a one if you report, I don't enjoy things the way I used to. You would score a two if you report, I don't get real satisfaction out of anything anymore. And you would score three if you were to report, I am dissatisfied or bored with everything. So boredom can also be a part of depression. So that's just a little snapshot of the Beck's Depression Inventory. Now let's move on to the GAD-7. So this is the Generalized Anxiety Disorder 7. So this is a self-report and it's self-administered typically. I'm also going to post this on my blog, okay? So let's look at one of the items. You can have scores of 5, 10, and 15, right? When you total up all the items. and the range is mild, moderate and severe anxiety. So some of the items that are on the GAD-7 are feeling nervous, anxious or on edge, not being able to stop or control stop or control worrying, worrying too much about different things, trouble relaxing, being so restless that it's hard to sit still, becoming easily annoyed or irritable, feeling afraid as if something awful might happen. So those are some examples of what is on the GAD. So what are some of the treatments, the other treatments besides think no think paradigm and the go no go? Well, typically cognitive behavioral therapy would be appropriate if you don't ruminate obsessively, but you are impaired in your ability to resolve problems. The reason why cognitive behavioral therapy Is useful is because cognitive behavioral therapy is about changing the way that you think or the way that you perceive something to be. Because if you can change the way you think about it, you can change the way you feel, you can change the way you behave. Okay. Now, ruminating or rumination focused cognitive behavioral therapy is a little bit different because in that therapy, they teach you certain activities to help you problem solve. They also teach you how to switch your thought process to more productive thoughts by planning activities to avoid rumination, using compassion for yourself and for others. And so that's what makes rumination focused cognitive behavioral therapy, RFCBT, different from cognitive behavioral therapy, which is more generalized. Now, if you have general anxiety disorder, or generalized anxiety disorder. Here are some medications you would take. Prozac, Zoloft, Celexa, Lexapro, Paxil, and Luvox. Not everybody who has GAD takes medication, but if you were prescribed medication, these are some of the typical medications for anxiety. So sometimes in conjunction with therapy, medication is necessary, especially if you're obsessively ruminating and You have more of the moderate to severe form of anxiety, especially if you are actually diagnosed with generalized anxiety disorder. Okay, so if your symptoms are more related to depression and you actually have some type of mood disorder, okay, some of the mood regulators would be like Cymbalta, or I should say rather antidepressant, Cymbalta, histic and affects them. So these are kind of typical for people who have depression and they're more on the severe spectrum of depression where they actually have a diagnosis from the DSM-5. They actually have a disorder. Let me just make sure that I cover everything before I get into my own personal story about ruminating and some things that I did. Just want to make sure that I covered everything. Another thing that I should say is that when people ruminate, the idea is that there is an impaired cognitive process that impairs them from being able to switch from an unproductive thought to a productive thought. And I think that's a good way for us to kind of go into my own personal story of how I've experienced rumination. So like I said, usually people ruminate about situations that are bizarre or that are highly offensive or that are painful. And once upon a time, not long ago, I went through a painful experience. It was actually at a formal job of mine. I had a coworker, and this person was interesting to say the least. So I had been working with this person for some time, but somehow this coworker started becoming, I don't know, intimidated maybe or insecure about some of the work that I was doing for the students that we work with. For those of you who haven't heard my previous podcast, one of the sectors that I do work in is I do work as a school social worker. So let's just say, you know, I'm the school social worker and this person is a teacher. Well, kind of where the problem started was I wrote a goal for a student. And for whatever reason, this really got this teacher in a tizzy. And the teacher was just kind of going on and on. They were ruminating. They were externalizing and ruminating, right? Right. And they were going on and on about how they felt like they should have been the person to write that goal. And I shouldn't have written a goal like that without informing them. And it was just nonsense. Anybody who works in a school, or I don't even think you need to work in a school to know that there's something very nonsensical about a colleague telling another colleague that they need to ask them for permission to do their job. Well, anyways, I could tell that this person was not going to find any type of resolve with me, just talking out with them and working through how I came about making this goal and how we can make this work. So I actually suggested that we have a mediator who was both of our supervisors. And I thought the whole situation was squash. Moving forward, two years later, two years later. Okay. Now this is truly ruminating and externalizing. I learned that this teacher was still holding a grudge about that goal that I wrote for that student. And so some of the externalizing behaviors that this teacher was engaging in was we had gotten a new social worker and she was slowly but surely trying to kind of get this social worker involved in her personal issue with me. So she started sending this social worker, really intimidating emails about the curriculum that we were providing students saying that our social emotional curriculum was excluding students with certain disabilities i mean it was really going too far she was really sending like a lot of harassing emails so i decided i said you know i was kind of like the other social workers mentor because the social worker was new in the field i said hey let's just all meet with administration let's talk this out let's clarify what our rules are here at the school And then that way we won't have this confusion. Well, let's just say that didn't go over so well. Normally you would think, oh, that's a great idea. That's the protocol and that's how you would handle the situation. Well, it didn't go over so well because of what we call work politics. So unfortunately, at that particular placement that I was at, they were kind of low on certified teachers. And so administration was not interested in reprimanding or disciplining or redirecting teachers at all. Teachers could basically get away with murder. I don't want to say that they couldn't get away with murder, literally, but they could engage in a lot of inappropriate behaviors and administration would just kind of say, you know, let's just squash it. Let's forget about it. We know that wasn't their intention. And that was kind of the tone of the meeting. And I think that unfortunately, because there was no resolve. And it was such a bizarre situation. I ruminated about it. I just thought to myself, did I do something wrong? Did I set a bad example for this other social worker? Is there something that I could have done better? And I kind of was internalizing. I was taking the blame on for myself. I was taking responsibility for this teacher's behavior. And I was saying, well, what could I have done to make the situation better? Well, I didn't engage in the behavior. Why am I taking this responsibility on? I did what I could do. I handed it over to the appropriate people. What I learned from this situation, okay, is that some of the most painful lessons can be your greatest blessing. And if you can accept it, not ruminate about the problem, but accept the lesson and learn from it and grow from it, you come out so much stronger and so much more, I wanna say enlightened at the end. And I really do feel a lot more enlightened If I could do it all over again, I don't know if I phrase it that way, but if I did something different moving forward in the future, what I would have done differently is I would have just filed the complaint with administration with the other social worker. And then I would have handed the responsibility for follow up to be completely between administration and this former coworker of mine. Because I didn't need to be involved at that point. And then that way I could have addressed the issue, but taken myself out of it. So that was something that I learned. And that was positive. Another thing that I learned is that sometimes, you know, when you're in a situation and it's unpleasing, switch to something else. You know, it's like if you're watching television and let's say you're watching a horror flick. Okay. Okay. If it's enjoyable to you and it's thrilling and exciting, then by all means, continue to watch it. But if you start feeling anxious, you start feeling nervous, you start feeling like, you know what? If I keep watching this horror flick, I don't know if I'm going to be able to walk around my house. Why would you continue to watch it? If you have access to a remote, change the channel. It's just like the think-no-think paradigm. I learned that to stop the process of ruminating, you got to switch over to something more productive. There are situations that are beyond our control. And I certainly have been in situations where, you know, maybe I had a client or a student that I was really advocating for, but there were some outside, you know, forces or outside circumstances that were kind of, you know, not necessarily conducive to that client's growth or that student's growth. Well, I have to accept that. And the way that I avoid ruminating is I say, okay, what can I do to help the situation as best as I can? And once I know I did everything that I could possibly do that's within my control to fix the situation or make the situation better. Okay, because you can't fix anybody else's situation, but make the situation as best as possible. Then I let it go. I say, you know what? I feel good because I know I did what I could and I move on. And there's some times where you are going to be in a situation where there isn't resolve and you just have to say, okay, what else can I do that's more productive? I have literally been in situations that were stressful or you know, where I had some disdain, or maybe me and another person, we were not seeing eye to eye. And there was kind of a debate. But then I said, "Okay, at some point, we're going to agree to disagree and let me move on to this other task. And by doing that, you will become so mature. You will become such a great leader because great leaders are people who can compartmentalize and they can prioritize. And so that was one of the best takeaways that I ever got from learning how to deal with rumination and You know, I want to tell you about this agency. It's called the Recovery Village. I'm going to post their website. But they actually have treatment for rumination focused behavior, cognitive, excuse me, rumination focused cognitive behavioral therapy. And they actually just provide treatment for obsessive rumination as well as anxiety, depression and substance use. Now, I cannot recommend their treatment facility, because I've never actually been. I don't have any clients that have gone. I don't have any direct experience with people's testimony of going through their their treatment. But I will say I really like the information that they had on their website. And some of the things that they say that they really try to emphasize with their clients is by challenging their thoughts and also just learning how to be more productive with their thoughts engaging in activities such as meditating or, you know, exercise or, you know, even expressive activities. Sometimes the arts are a good way to just switch your brain to something more productive. And then once you learn to just engage in more productive activities, I think you will also be able to transfer that to switching to more productive thoughts as well. I'm going to post their website on my blog. I want to thank you all today. For listening to my podcast and listening to me share my own personal testimony about rumination. And by all means, if you have any questions, comments, if you want to share your own personal story about ruminating, please do not hesitate to email me at thesocialworkjournal at gmail.com. And you can also find it on my website, www.thesocialworkjournal.com before we go, I want to leave you with this thought. It's a quote from Alfred Adler. We are not determined by our experiences, but are self-determined by the meaning we give to them. And when we take particular experiences as the basis for our future life, we are almost certain to be misguided to some degree. Meanings are not determined by situations. We determine ourselves by the means we ascribe to situations. So thank you all again. It was a pleasure. And until next time, bye.